Hey everybody, welcome back to The Pixelist, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. As always, we're your hosts, Will, Blake, Blake and uh, today we're here to talk about our bread and butter, a little critical role, episode Ooh, 60. baby. It episode feels, 60. Yeah. Man. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's wild. It really is. Like, it feels like just yesterday we were we started, honestly, but I guess it, we're coming up on... Two years? Like a year and a half ish. Yeah. Yeah. Something. I like mean, that. we've been doing this for like almost two years now, but when I'm trying to remember when yeah. campaign three started. I think that I think that's right. Um because campaign three was a little bit after I started my D D campaign, which is about to hit two years this fall. So mm. I think I think that lines up. Well, here we are. Look at us. Episode sixty. Look at me now, Dad. <laughs> Still a YouTuber, not That's making right. any money. <laughs> well, uh, how are you today? I'm good, man. Um, got my coffee, which I know you just made yours as well. So, like, yeah. you know, the lifeblood is entering me <laughs> yeah. and invigorating me as we speak. Yeah. Um, but how are you doing this morning? I'm good. I was, as I was putting my, I know you drink your coffee black, but I put, you know, a little cream in mine. And as I was putting my cream in, I grabbed the spoon I used to, um, eat my yogurt this morning yeah. Uh-oh. so i was like oh i gotta rinse this off i don't want any yogurt in my coffee but you know what it made me think of is when people use yogurt in lieu of sour cream or vice versa oh yeah it's like, like greek oh, yogurt need, yeah like oh i need sour cream i'll just grab the yogurt or like you know actually i don't know if people do that with sour cream the other way around but it kind of <laughs> bothers me that's all i'm gonna say well listen <clears throat> Uh, that's me because you know we're we're more health conscious household these days, so we are oh, substituting no. Greek yogurt for sour You're cream that these person. days. Oh no! Well, listen, have you ever tried How it? Dare you? No, I'm just going to okay. judge it from afar. <laughs> I, I I this was new to me too, and I came at it like, Whoa, I'm not doing it. That's weird. I get like really defensive. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> well, just if you've never had Greek yogurt before, it's not like it's not like yogurt yogurt. Like you can't imagine like your strawberry banana yogurt, and that's what you're substituting for sour cream. Greek yogurt like tastes like sour cream. Nah, man. It does. I mean, it's not. I mean, sour cream is better. Don't get me wrong. Nah. But like, nah. you know, it's it's not akin to like you know going to get your little yogurt snack yogurt. It's a bit of nah. a different beast. Nah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not entertaining that. Fair enough. Fair enough. I was the, I was the same way. No. Yeah. All cool. right. So I'll spare everyone. Yeah. Um. Announcements? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think so. Just just the normal. You know, we're covering the Wizard, the Witch, and the Wild one, so check that out. We're also covering the Ravening War, uh, which is coming up on its final episodes. Um, and that's been great. And, uh, yeah, other than that, nothing... Well, you know what I realized, like, just the other day, and I had no idea, is that, like, Secret Invasion comes out, like, tomorrow. Not, act- not literally tomorrow, but it, like, comes out really soon. Oh wow! I had no idea. Um, so I don't not I don't know if we're covering that or not, but uh, I meant to bring this up to you because I saw that the other day and I was like, "What?" <laughs> like it comes yeah. out like next week or like super super soon, and I had no idea. I feel like they when's have not Loki's, been like marketing it. When's Loki season two? I don't know. Well, I was gonna say soon, but I don't. I wonder if that like Jonathan Major stuff has thrown a wrench in it at all. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. But 
I mean, was supposedly soon. We'll see, I guess. Loki season two. Um, October. Ooh, still a ways away. Okay. Okay. Mm, okay. Well, yeah. Um, I guess that's it. Unless any, there's anything you can think of. Um, we yeah, do. I'm good to go. I think we do still tentatively plan on covering uh, Candela Obscura, but with that airing, you know, only once a month, I'm not entirely sure when we might, when we might do that. Um, yeah, we're definitely a bit strapped on all the recording currently, but we do want to squeeze it in somehow. So we'll see if that happens. Um, but yeah, um, I think that's it. And it feels like, we, I mean, you and I have been recording recently, but it feels like it's been a minute since Critical Role because I guess they had their off week. Right. I feel like we recorded episode 59 like almost right after it aired and then there was yeah. an off week and now we're doing yeah. this one on the later sides of things. So it feels like it's, yeah. it feels like it's been a minute. So it's good to. Yeah, I think you're right. It's good to be back. We got a lot of juicy things to talk about this episode. Yeah. And well, an episode well, tonight. Oh, that's sorry. right. No, no, I didn't no. Mean to interrupt your, yeah. No, no. I mean, yeah, I'm excited for tonight. Uh, that, that's always the fun thing about recording these, like, uh, later in the week, is that we get to like have all this discussion, and it gets me geared up for you know diving yeah. in tonight. So, hopefully, you guys are along with us for that. But yeah, before we dive into all that juiciness, we are going to do our recap as always. And if you find yourself on just our recap video, be sure to check the description below for a link to our full video where we will be discussing all of our harebrained theories and, you know, um, crackpot ideas. But yeah, without further ado, let's jump into this recap of episode 60 of Campaign 3. I'm desperately trying to find the title. Um, Faith or Famine? Oh, I was going to say Feast and Famine. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so we pick back up with Team AOL um, plus our trio of three new guest characters having found themselves in a Silra after the uh, your camera just went out, just to, in case you didn't know. Um, <laughs> I had to blow my nose. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I thought I would spare people from... <laughs> no worries, know, just making that. sure. Thank um, you, though. I'll be back one second. Okay. okay. <laughs> they We found them in a Silra after you know the events of the solstice have ported them everywhere they've come together and they are basically trying to head towards the closest civilization um prism again uh brings up that if we can get her hands on a scry spell then she can use that to help them locate their friends um sorry my notes just freaked out um, also, while she's talking about this, she does reveal that she holds the record for the longest apprenticeship of all time. Um, <laughs> the crew, as they're traveling, eventually come to a road sign and see that uh, there's basically two directions pointing on it. Uh, one is to Endovar and the other is to Athansia. They determine that basically from where they are, that the closest town to them is probably Hearthdell. So they decide to head that way. As they continually traveling, um, it's mostly uneventful, but they do come across um, what remains of a gallows, um, a seemingly out-of-use gallows. It's very creepy, and there are a number of unmarked graves around. They spend a little bit of time, like, kind of feeling out this area, but they're like, maybe we should just, you know, get out of here. And they can see um, the ley lines still in the sky from the solstice, and they can actually see what appears to be like a nexus point um seemingly up ahead of them 
potentially right above where Hearthdell is, where they're headed. Yeah, um, interesting. And in noticing all of this, um, they can also, a few of the party rather, can notice that there's like a different um, like smell in the air. There's a change in the air. And they realize that uh, illusion magic seems to be enhanced, probably because of the solstice, obviously. Um, so they arrive in town, ultimately, and um, it's kind of a... People are looking at them, but not really greeting them. Um, bit of a weird vibe. Um, and they ultimately run into two figures. Uh, one is this armored guard looking guy who has a symbol of the Dawnfather on him. And the other is this uh, older man in overalls, uh, the latter of which is named Hinder. And the party begins to talk with him. Orm admits they're a bit lost. And Prism's like, is everything okay in this town? There's kind of like a weird vibe here. Uh, and, you know, obviously with the solstice craziness that just happened. And when they ask this, the armored figure steps up and is like, hey, like, who are you guys? What are you doing here? And they say, we're just passing through, you know, and he's like, OK, well, you know, points them to a local tavern, like where they could maybe spend the night. <clears throat> they then continue their conversation with Hinder. And he says, yeah, the past few weeks here have been pretty strange. Uh, lots of weird people have been coming through town. Um, I don't know too much though, so you should really talk to Prolif or, um, the elder. And, uh, so the party is like, okay, they decide let's head through town and, you know, try to find somebody else to talk to. And the first thing they notice is the presence of a huge temple here. Mm. One that is like far larger than it should be for a town of this size. And they're like, Hmm, that's interesting, but let's go talk to that Prolif guy first. So they head to the apothecary where Prolif is and find him inside. They tell him about what happened to them and how they got teleported and grouped up here. And he says, oh, that's good news because 11 people vanished from our town last night. And if you guys are okay, hopefully they're okay as well. Um, and he tells them there was this big event last night to celebrate the solstice. Um, and afterwards, you know, this craziness happened and 11 people vanished. He also tells them that lots of Athansian agents have been coming to the town recently, along with adjudicators, and says that the activity from the temple and these types of people in the last few months has really been ramping up in preparation for the solstice, and that these um, temple people uh, warned the city that the solstice was going to happen and kind of prepared them for it. Um, but the people here, they're not really that religious. They're not really like the God types. Um, they're more pagan and they believe in what's called the loam and the leaf, which basically means they're more, um, in tune with the land and the spirits right. and the elementals here and believe that those spirits and elementals will take care of them more so than any deity. Um, he also fills them in on a little bit about the town and said, there's two like main mills here. Uh, which are the like sources of industry uh, run by two families. Um, the two families are the rain maid, which have, they've been here a really long time and they're very good about like having a proper balance with nature and like their lumber extraction and what have you. Uh, but then there are also the silver calls who are a more recent addition in the grand history of the town. And they are very wealthy um, and they are taking way more than, initially was agreed upon uh, from the land. Uh, but Prolif isn't sure like what the reaction to that is because he says it's the elder's job to communicate with the spirits. So he's not sure if like the spirits are upset about that or not. Um, as they continue talking, they kind of notice that Prolif is like 
getting a bit more guarded with these answers as, as these strangers are just kind of, you know, keep riddling him with questions. Yeah. And it's at that point that Prism uses um, a spell. I can't remember the name of it, but it's like a secret note message that she writes that only um, yeah. Prolif can see. Basically saying like, hey, you know, I know you, you maybe can't talk right now, but is there anywhere we should go or talk to where you could speak freely? And Prolif basically tells them about this cottage that they should go to um, to get more answers. And after that, um, the party does pick up a few items. Um, they get a few healing potions, and uh, Bordor actually barters some beef jerky for a bunch of laxatives. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then the party take their leave, and they decide to go speak with the elder. Um, as they're walking and talking, uh, Team AOL catches up the newbies on basically everything that we as viewers know. Um, the down low on Vasselheim and the adjudicators in relation to Ludinus and the gods and Pradathos and all the different machinations of what's going on in this solstice and like, you know, Ludinus wanting to wipe out the gods, all that jazz. And eventually they come to this cottage that Prolif told them about. They go up, knock on the door, and as soon as they do, these two vines like immediately detach and like coil down like serpents. Um, and then a peephole opens up and is like, can I help you? And the party says, we're here to speak to the elder uh, Prolef sent us. And they explain what happened to them, that they got teleported during the solstice and ended up here. The door opens, and then we are revealed to this Goliath woman over six feet tall in her 60s. And that's basically where we go to break. And then do you pronounce her name Abedina? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so coming back from break, it is now this conversation in Elder Abedina's abode. And they're basically like, hey, we've been sent to you um, by uh, Prolapse or, you know, <laughs> Prolef. And uh, basically is like, you know, can you help us? We've heard that you can help us. And um, similar to uh, Prolef, uh, Abedina is also a bit um, weary of the party and essentially as the party tells them the scoop, uh, uh, which Laudna informs them like, Hey, we were everywhere. And now we're here. Um, Abedin is basically like, Hey, I, we've had a lot of people come through town. I don't know if I can trust you. Like, do you have any proof of this? Um, and prism, uh, presents, I think like a library card or something from the cobalt soul. Um, but then her, her wizard book, uh, Dinios basically is like, yes, I can confirm everything, uh, that has been told is true. Um, still from that though, she also, uh, Abedina also casts some kind of spell where she release, she releases like these reddish spores, um, and invites Orum to inhale them. And as Orum does, he sort of has like this experience of sort of reliving quickly in his memory, sort of rehashing all the memories that he's been through. Uh, and Abedina seems to share in these memories in some way. And that is certainly enough to confirm that everything they're saying is true. Um, Abedina asks them, hey, what do, you, what do you guys think of the prime deities? Um, and uh, not unlike Team Wildmount, you have uh, a few people being like, screw them. You know, I don't care about them. Uh, and then Orem really uh, has this amazing... Um, Liam O'Brien has, by the way, just incredible, um, uh, several incredible lines in this episode. Yeah. But Orem basically says, um, in taking basically defense 
for the deities, which we've seen him do before, basically says like, hey, it's really not so much the deities that I have a problem with. It's often the followers who um, do the poorest job of representing them well. And there is a great conversation here where Abedina is basically talking about how, you know, with this moment with Ruidus happening, um, her connection to the earth and spirits, like something primal has been unlocked and awoken. And it's not really clear exactly what she's referring to, but she, she basically says there are these Eidolons that are no longer fearful of the deities that are rising up. Uh, and again, not unlike what we've seen with Team Wildmount, Abedina essentially uh, just basically says that to see the deities gone would be good. Um, it would be freeing for the people. Uh, and she admits that she too heard the voice of Ludinus Deleth and Orum basically, in sort of pleading the defense of the deities, um, basically says, um, you know, what if I told you I stood 50 feet from this man and that he would kill anyone to get the job done, like to get his way. He has to roll a persuasion check, only hits a 12, and unfortunately, Abedina basically says that may be true and he may be misguided, but it's sort of like the ends justify the means. Like, yeah. if this leads us to being free from the gods, then so be it. Um, regardless, the party's like, well, hey, can you help us? Like, we just want to get back to our friends. And Abedina basically says, yes, I can help you. I have this thing called a scrying well uh, that you can use to at least um, find your friends, but I need some help from you first. And the party's basically like, well, how do we know we can trust you? Um, there is a nat 20 from Prism where she's like, I think we can trust her. Um, but basically asks, what is the nature of this scrying well? And Abedina basically explains that she has been able to use it to locate a few of the missing 11 people who were bamped out of the town, one of which got teleported to like the middle of the ocean Yikes. and presumably died. Um, but other than that, I think the girl that was missing or someone who was missing was like in a forest and part basically like, okay, this, this works like this kind of magic works. So they're like, what can we do? And Abedin basically says that the, um, the, the uh, Bastion soldiers who were there on behalf of the Dawnfather and Vasselheim have been a real thorn in their side, and they are looking to take back, take back the city. And if they're in, to meet at the brewery in only 15, 20 minutes from now. So the party heads to the brewery, and it's sort of like a town hall meeting. It is this sort of shady, quiet group of many townspeople within this brewery, and um, just skipping through some of the details, um, basically, Abedina is going to come in and she gives this speech. She sort of rallies everyone and says, like, today's the day we take back um, what was rightfully ours. And anyone who's not up for the task, because some people may die, you can go stand over there and everyone else, like, step forward. And the party's like, OK, what choice do we have? Let's do this. Um, even Orem reluctantly is like, OK, let's it's time we do this. And uh, get another awesome line from Orem. Um, and basically, they all agree, like, hey, we're going to help. Um, and the party's also kind of joking with the townspeople being like, hey, I need some of you guys to know that some of you are probably going to die, um, including you, Chad. Uh, and Matt has this very, like, adolescent, teenager, douchey Chad character who's great. Um, but Bordor is is... He's never been in battle before. And so he's like, well, hang on. We're not going to, like, kill these people, right? And they're kind of like, I mean, yeah. 
And he's like, well, hang on. Before we do this, let's see if we can talk to them. Let's see if we can, like, convince them to maybe leave the town, which we all know this isn't going to work, but or it happened this way. But basically, he's like, I have tobacco. Um, we have beer. Let's see if we can just, you know, if, if Orem can talk to them and say, like, what he knows about Ludus Deleth, maybe the, he'll be able to sort of talk them down. So they basically are like, all right, we'll let this happen, but we're going to be ready to pounce when it gets to that, if it gets to that point. Yeah. Party goes over to the temple. Um, they know there's at least two judicators um, in the town. Um, and Orem and Border basically go up to the temple and they're like, hey, man, <laughs> you want some weed <laughs> or tobacco? Uh, we got beer. <laughs> and uh, they're basically like, we're here to convert, you know, and um, there's some good roles that happen. And the guards people are like, okay, yeah, sure. So. They start drinking beer. They start smoking tobacco. Um, Bordor cleverly, actually, when the guards aren't looking, pours the laxatives into the beer that then gets passed around. And then while they're talking, Bordor is like, hey, my friend here knows something like, you know, world ending. You need to listen to them, which they're kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> and so Orem basically starts to share like, hey, I, I need to be able to talk to your leader, um, the flame keeper or flame guide. I don't remember which one was the title. Um, but Kiro was the name. Uh, it's the person who sort of runs the temple and the guards like, okay, I'll go get Kiro. And so from like this tower or rampart of the temple, Kiro basically comes out and is like very put off by Bordor and Orem. They're like, okay, you've come, you've given my soldiers beer. What do you want? And Orem basically spills the beans on everything Ludneth is wanting to do. And like, your fight isn't here. Your fight is in Marquette. Like, leave these people alone. And again, there's a request for a role, not a great role from Orem. And so Kiro basically says, all right, take them prisoner. We'll take them to Vasselheim and we can corroborate their story. And Orem basically has this awesome line where he says, well, that's unfortunate. And immediately battle erupts. The townspeople come in, Orem is going to um, hit one of the guards with the butt of his sword and then um, grow a vine out with seedling and then basically throw the guard across the way, like into a tower. Um, chaos erupts. Um, Prism is going to dimension door with Denise into the temple, uh, which was the plan. And immediately once they get in there, which Matt brings out, by the way, it's a two part battle arena. It's the outdoor and then the indoor like temple court Yeah, um, looks insane. And there's immediately adjudicator in the temple court. Uh, so they're like, oh, oh, we didn't mean to get here, actually. <laughs> um, but basically, we know there's a massive battle coming. And that's where the episode ends. Uh, episode 60 of Faith and famine or famine yes. <laughs> and again uh that's the recap if you want to see our whole discussion we'll have a link uh in this episode description but yeah so goodness there was a lot to talk about there yeah and as i was getting to the recap i was like man this is taking a while there's so many great <laughs> details but um all right we know we both loved it yep. right yep. dude freaking <laughs> awesome episode yeah, really fun. You know, we it's still just good to be with this uh team AOL, you know. We had we had one episode with them in that break, so I felt like, you know, I'm still kind of getting I'm still juiced up about being, you know, with this side of things. Um, yeah. Good energy yeah, with this group. Yeah, very good energy and you know, we we talked about it last time, but I'll throw it out there again. Uh the guests are fantastic, you know. It's great they to really see are. Emily Axford continue her ridiculous streak of yeah. nat 20s. 
And, um, yeah, you know, it, it's just been so much fun. There's a lot to talk about. Um, Blake and I, was it, was it, what did we record prior to this? Ravening War? Yeah, I guess it was. And so in that we said, do we need to keep having this section where we say like, did you like it? Because we always like it. Um, yeah. So we're just, if I guess we we're just like it. If we don't like it, we will say we don't yeah, yeah. like it. That's a better idea. We'll say but, when we hate it. But guys, let's get real. We are recording like six hours a week of talking about you, about these videos. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was actually talking to a friend of mine about this last night. And we were talking about D&D, and I was like, yeah, me and my buddy, we actually have, like, a YouTube channel. And he's like, oh, my gosh, what? And I was like, he was like, so what do you do? And I was like, well, we just talk about it. And he was like, oh, like, that's it? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's what we do. So if we're doing this for six-plus hours on top of watching the videos, um, yeah, you can know we're just going to we're gonna love it. So. <laughs> you know, it is – I will say that, though, the other side of that coin does exist. The people that are just – hate watchers and like we'll let mm-hmm. you know about it so oh yeah at least we're not that yeah you know? there's definitely people who yeah <laughs> their whole mantra is rage content and uh yeah i feel bad for those people a yeah. lot of them are on reddit i feel like as a reader sure. like a lot are on reddit where i'm like 100 really unhappy <laughs> but 100 anyhow um okay where to start um I think um, I'll say just in general, I think we already said this a little bit, but fun session, great, like D and D key, um, like very D and D esque. I don't know what I'm trying to say like where the party thought like it's zombies. It's definitely zombies. Like, I feel like that's such like a D and D table. Like you pick up on one tiny detail that the DM yeah. says and it starts to spiral out. 100%. And the DM's like, like, uh, you know, and I think sometimes the DM, I know Matt's done this, but I've done this myself, and I know you've done this where they're like, sure, yeah. yeah. And then I think there's other points. What was the thing? Um, I never saw the episode, but you joked about it where Matt was like, it's a chair. Oh, it's- yeah, the chair, which, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's a hilarious one, which we, we, I'm sure we talked about it back when, but you know, Travis like added to the chair canon by saying that like he helped build like the assassin chairs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, just some fun D&G esque, you know, tabletop hijinks that I think were great. Um, Liam O'Brien, man. Bro. So many good lines. Bro. <laughs> he's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> when he's not at the table, I'm sad because he is so good at creating compelling moments in his lines, man. Oh my gosh. His lines are so good. Yeah, he had we you and I watched the second half of this episode together. And I think several times we were pointing out just the fantastic lines Liam was dropping. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. It's been good to have Oren back as um, and, you know, I'm going to miss the other half of the characters, too. So no shade thrown at at Team Wildmount. But um there wasn't really a uh, we were missing our dad of the group, you know, I 100 percent agree. So, yeah, it, it's good to have his his energy back, especially in the chaos of all of this and being I don't, I don't know if it's fair to say like anyone on Bell's Hells is like definitive, definitively like lying in the sand like this is my stance on this and it's going this way 100 percent in terms of like gods versus no gods. But if anyone, it would be Orem on the team of like you know 
like killed my whole family. Like we can't. Yeah. Uh, well, and even in like in the in the micro of like doing the right or wrong thing, when um, Prism was talking about like basically robbing the temple, um, yeah. she's like, "Yeah, no one has a problem with that, right?" And Orm was like, "I, I, I think I'd have a problem with that," <laughs> um, which was very like a cozy, nostalgic reminder for me of EXU early on i don't remember what the dial i think it was like on in like one of the first episodes when they're talking about like going and robbing someone at the ship at the the docks yeah yeah like yeah we're all good with this and almost like i'm really not yeah Yeah. um so i think you're right yeah he is kind of like the moral compass even but definitely like sets the standard and um i think you need that in a group of um i don't know if this applies to bell's hells as much but definitely a group of chaos that was in EXU and very much similar vibes with this group <laughs> as well. Like yeah. when Orm gives the speech, when Orm gives the amazing speech to Abedina and then Bordor's like, I'm, I'm going to rub her back as. <laughs> yeah. So these are the competing personalities of a D&D table. Um, competing is not the right word, but you get what I'm right. saying. <laughs> the different styles. Yeah. <laughs> There's so. definitely <laughs> some chaos demons in this group. Yeah. What were the what were the teams? Team anxiety and team jersey or something? I don't know. Oh, you, you missed that? Yeah, I don't remember that. Well, they had to split. It, they split into like two groups. Um, yeah. And so they the name of the two groups was Team Anxiety and Team Jersey. And I think Team Anxiety was like Bordor, Laudna, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think think it was prism i don't and then the and then orum denise obviously when they're heading to the brewery where they split up so i think so Um, which i also liked how this is another like peak dnd thing of like overthinking things where the party was like you know how do we get from point a to point b like talking about through all the strategies of it and orum was like we can just like play it cool man like you know just be casual we don't have to be weird (laughs) so anyway um so yeah lots of great stuff what where do we want to start i'll tell you where i want to start and that's with bordor and that 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 man is Bro. a dog okay he said specifically his dad was not a dog though he's uh, well, he I, he said that in the last episode too but i i okay i definitely have my confirmation goggles on my confirmation yeah, bias, bias is, is yeah. out in full <laughs> force because I'm I'm looking for the clues now and I'm I'm latching on to yeah. anything. But there's some just go ahead. For you guys, for you guys who maybe didn't watch our last episode, Will's all in on this theory um that Bordor Dog Son is in fact the son of a dog. And we won't get like rehash some of the details from last episode, but um you're saying this episode confirmed it even more for you. Yeah. Well, not even I mean, I guess he technically would be the son of a dog, but more so like that's not necessarily relevant. Just that he is a dog that was polymorphed know, or otherwise how, turned into it. How would a, a dog know how to ro- roll a blunt? Huh? Well, because he got magically altered by a polymorph or the solstice or something. And, you know, there's just some level of sentience that must come with that, I would assume. I don't know. But <laughs> we must teach him our ways. I think he's a dog. And there's some new evidence this episode that I think points to that. First of okay. all. He just sees the good in everybody like, you know, he I can't remember the exact conversation, but they were like they were like talking about like, well, would they go for that or something? And Bordeaux was like, yeah, like that, yeah, for sure. 
Like he always is very optimistic and True. sees the good in people, which is a very dog characteristic, you know. Dogs love everybody True. for the most part. Yeah. Exceptions, obviously. So there's that. <clears throat> he was always curious about the well-being of animals when they came across them. Like they came across a stable or some farm or something, and he's like, How are the livestock? How are the animals doing? Um so he, curious about that. Um he then, whenever someone like, whenever he was trying to like commend someone or like applaud them or congratulate them, how does he do it? By giving them beef jerky, like giving a dog a treat. Like that's how he, like that's how he responds to like accolade. Like, oh, like here, have some beef jerky, you know? And finally, the back rub moment, which is very weird, but I feel like, you know, how to, what do dogs like? They like to get pets. Yeah. And they like to get, they get into your space. You know, if, so if you're not a dog yeah. lover, you don't belong in this chat. No, I'm just kidding. But I've heard people who aren't dog lovers talk about how dogs are kind of invasive. Like they can get, you know, right up on you. So, yeah. which is not unlike, you know, the light sexual harassment that he gave to <laughs> <laughs> Elder Abedina. But okay. Okay. You know, are there other rational explanations for those things? I'm sure. But, I feel like it's all adding up. Mm. You guys will have to let us know what you think about this theory. I, I was mind blown in the last episode. This episode, I pulled back a little bit. I'll be honest. I'm like, really? I don't know. I don't know. Because mm. he said he was not the son of a dog. And but he, would he never said that last episode, too. Dogs do not lie to you. Dogs are the most honest creatures in the world. Dogs lie. So, dogs you come lie. home, there's a big mess in your house. You're like, did you do this? And they like run to the other room and like put their head in a corner. My dog doesn't do that. My dog just lays by it and is like, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't control myself. This was your fault. You shouldn't have left this out for me. And I'm like, you're right. I shouldn't have. That's on me. So, <laughs> all right. So we got, we got the board or dog son theory possibly confirmed in your mind. I, um, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't I, a slight. I, like I just, yeah. Okay. Chipping it. It's like 30 minutes later. You're like, you have like a whiteboard <laughs> behind you. I'm like, all right, let's just move on. <laughs> Um, what else from this episode? Um, I thought it was interesting that, uh, Prism reveals that she's had the longest apprenticeship ever. And also that she's stolen, presumably from the Cobalt Soul, um, several times, three, I think she says three or four spells from like the restricted area or yeah. something to that effect. Um, which just made me wonder if, if, what 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 more might be there um those two things kind of go hand in hand for me like maybe she's been the forever apprentice because she keeps breaking the rules like stealing spells and you know etc um but yeah it, it's these types of things where i wonder especially with a guest character like how much of it is really like there for like mining deep on versus yeah. just this is a funny thing to say in the moment. Like, yeah, oh yeah, I've been apprentice forever, you know? Like, so I don't, yeah, it's, I don't know how much it's worth like diving super yeah. into, but I thought it was interesting. I feel like it's a little bit of both. I do wonder if she's being totally honest because of, I mean, I guess Dinios would have to be in on it if there was something untruthful about her background. But I even found myself wondering, like, are you even really part of the cobalt soul? Like, are you pretending to be part of it? Um, and the reason my mind went there was when they were talking about the Cerberus assembly 
and she didn't seem to know. Now, I think this could be just Emily Axford just just out of character being like, oh, yeah, what is that again? Not mm-hmm. realizing, like, her character would know. But I also wondered if this was something more intentional where it's, like, something you would clearly know that you don't know. And it made me wonder, like, is it possible, like, she's charading as a member of the Cobalt Soul to gain access? I mean, if she steals, like, maybe to get access to more things or... You know, kind of like a a catch me if you can kind of situation. Mm. Like, yeah, I'm an apprentice here. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I just, I got a little curious about it thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's more, more to it, you know, with this guest character. Yeah. I mean, same page as far as, as wondering that, but the, the service assembly thing didn't ping for me that, I mean, entirely possible that that is what she was doing. Um, but to me, her just like not knowing the deep lore of, of this world since she's a guest character checks out. Um, and if if it is like a, if it is like a con, she is insanely craftful for then once being told, then being like, oh, yeah, like I have their playing card. Like she like then once right. she was told, she like reintroduced elements of it to her backstory right. as if she did yeah. know. So if but, that but is like- all a misdirect, that's very layered. But even the joke of the playing cards was interesting because it was like, well, these two factions are diametrically opposed, right? So to like be collecting playing cards. No, they're not because the service assembly isn't evil, like okay. on a base level. They're like an elite or aristocratic thing. Lewdness is obviously up to no good. And a lot of the service assembly that we've seen are actually like corrupt and stuff. But it's like saying like. Is it fair to say it's not evil then if so many of its members are well, doing... Well, they would be saying, like, the CIA is evil. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I guess there's definitely things you could point to that would make that case for sure. But, like, as an organization, it's, like, not an evil organization. Like, it's it was founded to be, like, this kind of, you know... Yeah. The CIA is like not, like, a Cobalt great Soul... analogy, but you know what I mean? Like, Isn't the Cobalt Soul, like, keeping watch of the Cerberus assembly or like, soul is like a, yeah, they're or? like investigative monks, if you will. So like, they're, they're good. Like they're good guys. I mean, obviously yeah. it's black and white depending on the individual person, of course, but yeah. But so I, all that to say is that it's not like cobalt soul first sip service assembly because the service assembly is not like, like they're like a institution, you know? Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think and, I know this more than you will because uh, I haven't seen <laughs> campaign two. <laughs> and and I'm sure the Cobalt Soul, you know, which of which Bo is a member and of which Bo is investigating lewdness and other members of the service assembly. So on some level, yes, they do know that like they're keeping their eyes on them and stuff, but I, they're not like diametrically opposed and like, you know, yin and yang necessarily is all I was trying yeah, okay. to say. Um, so I do think it, especially if she is an aspiring young wizard, that she would collect those cards because these people are like the most powerful wizards in the world, or like at least yeah. the most famous. Um, More importantly, we now have a lore confirmation that there is a potentially Ludinus Deleth playing card. So yeah. yeah. Darrington Press, <laughs> we need you guys. We just found your new merch line, some playing cards. Let's get a little Magic the Gathering Hearthstone spin. Now, uh, mm. <laughs> now uh, Critical Role playing cards. 
that'd be a little interesting. I would, I mean, with all the stuff they're developing, if, you know, if this goes another 20 years, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like the, the trading card game or the card game, like not, not the trading card game, but like a, like a, like a tabletop card game that was critical role themed. Kind of interesting, especially since we've had, um, Vox Machina brought to life, uh, brought, brought to like visual life. Yeah animation you get it um we now like everyone's on the same page of like these characters what they look like i mean we already had the fan art obviously um but yeah i could totally see something like that happening it'd be cool for sure yeah okay moving on um elder abedina something you and i were talking about during our our watching the second half was did we get some kind of confirmation of a powerful force that's been in hiding thought to have been extinct for lack of a better phrasing? Um, Cause it seems Abedina is very in touch and not like in the wild mother sense, but very in touch with like primal energies with the planet itself, with spirits, I think as she called it. Uh, and we have this line where I think it's with the party in her cottage. She basically talks about being connected to those entities, but then also in her speech, as she's sort of rallying the townspeople, she basically says in saying like, now is the time basically says like, although you don't see these forces, they are also primed to rise up with you. Like something to that effect. What was your take on that conversation? Those details. There's a lot. There's, there's a lot. This may be the most meaty thing to dive into. So I'm going to take this piece by piece. And just one detail that I don't want to forget, so I'm throwing it out first, is that comment, that the one specifically you just said about, like, they're here too and they're primed and ready. There was a moment during the, to the end of the episode, the siege, if you will, when, you know, Orm and Bordor were going to talk to the guards and everybody else was kind of sneaking up. There was a moment where Matt like described the flames or, or, or something like almost looking alive. And then there was like something with like the vines kind of like similarly, like, yeah, unnaturally like, like growing and like to help them sort of climb. Yeah, right. Do you think I was confused at what that was, but then I was like, okay, is this the like manifestation of these spirits and these elementals, like aiding the townsfolk in this moment? Or what did you take that to mean? Or So Matt, I think described it as something like something supernatural or unnatural. I took it as Abedina, like casting something like basically like leverage. like, it's interesting because here's what's really cool about this is Matt has essentially introduced a source of power separate from the deities. And it's like, well, why does, why does her scrying well work? Well, because her source of power is not from the deities. It's from these primal energies, so to speak. Interesting. So there's something really cool, I think, from like the meta world of Alexandria that I think is happening. But in this specific moment... I think it could go either way. I think it could be these these primal forces like rising up to help, especially since Abedina explained that the town has always been like kind of like paired with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but could also just be Abedina. I think I almost wonder though. Matt would have said, you know, you see Abedina sort of like casting. If it was her, the way he phrased it was that it it was like something like I said unnaturally occurring in the moment. 
Yeah. Uh, so I think it's I think it's actually there's something there is something supernatural happening. Um and I'm not sure what. Interesting. Uh one of the other things I was going to bring up was why her scrying worked. And so I like your explanation that is because she's drawing her power from not the deities. Uh that's really interesting cuz cuz yeah, that didn't that didn't add up to me and I almost wondered if she was lying. But I think that they did make an insight check on her, and and the yeah. party at least believed that she was not lying. Prism um, had the nap twenty and yeah. confirmed. I think we can trust her. Right. I so, think about like the the world of Exandria. You know, I'm thinking of like the next source book that talks about like I'm a cleric of the I don't know what, but it is like this primal energy. Like, there's a lot that's exciting when it comes to like the world building of critical role especially you and i talking about like you and i talked about like well if the gods went away like it feels like there's a gap there it's a little strange and it could be that matt is guiding towards that new 5e styled system where like they're kind of departing from uh wotc to like do their own thing it could be that these primal forces are now going to take the place of the deities for like that functional space in the future or it could be just becoming very expansive these things both continue to live and exist and you know whenever you roll your character in your next campaign you can be a cleric of the dawn father or you can be a cleric of the you know and it's just it's just like an, an added you know cool thing to choose so there's a lot of exciting stuff that i think could be happening here yeah for sure i, I really like that idea that uh i really like that idea and i I think it also kind of plays into like <clears throat> some of the stuff we've been hearing from Ludinus or even some hints that were dropped in Calamity about like the relationship is opposite of what we think and that like the gods need us more than we need them. And so maybe like, and it could obviously be anything, but maybe it's like where a lot of belief is directed toward, toward therefore there is power. So like, because these people in this area of the world believe in these elementals or whatever, then there is a source of power there just in the same way that like all these people that believe in the Dawn father, therefore the Dawn father has this great power. So like if the relationship is something like that, then even if the deities were wiped away, you could still have clerics and whatever, just based on, mm -hmm. you know, what people are believing in, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it also kind of reminds me of that comment on like the other way around the old game, black and white. I don't know if you ever played it, but you play the role of a God I never um, played it, but I know, I know what you're talking about. But, and I don't remember the the exact, like, keywords in it, but basically, like, if you did well, it's kind of like SimCity, but, like, tribal. If you did well with the town, like, you had enough to eat, whatever, you would earn favor. Not favor, but, like, whatever that number was. Yeah. And then that would then unlock new powers and abilities. So I, that, for me, that's kind of like the very, like, tactile um, comparison to how the gods rely on people. Um, and that actually that's their source of, of power and energy. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it's something like that, but I really like that explanation for the scry spell. Um, cause that was, that was a stickler for me. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, there's a lot to kind of dissect here. So she specifically mentions Eidolons when she's referring mm -hmm. to these things. And I don't know, it seems like plural, like, like not yeah. there's like not one singular entity Eidolon. i think a, yeah i think an eidolon is just like a a word for like a source of power or 
Here we go. Um, an idealized person or thing, a, a, spec, a specter or phantom. Um, but used in like games, I feel like it's always referring like some kind of supernatural source of power. Um, Which so. there's like a few things I want to hit on here. So forgive me if this is if this is jumbled, but the first one of when she's speaking about this, the Eidolons, which that's what that's just generically what I'm going to refer to here as whatever this elemental power is, or Eidolons. When she's referring to this, she definitely seems to worship and revere it in a way. And it almost seems as if like that's the whole culture of this town. Like the loam and the leaf, that's what they've relied on to, you know, take care of the land, it takes care of you back, type of thing. Um but she says they hid from like the gods' wrath. Like they've been so they weren't sundered during the founding. Um, and that specific language makes me think of how a lot of the primordials and the titans were like put down during those times. Um, which made me wonder if this thing was a primordial slash titan. Um, which made me remember something um <clears throat> that we found out about uh, back in episode 58, which was the last episode with team Wildmount, when they were going through Ludinus's bag of holding part of the notes they read said, uh, or they found out about an ancient yeah. primordial that wasn't sundered during the founding. Yes, And so I don't know. Those things seem very connected to me. And uh, why would Ludinus have been researching that? You know, uh, so maybe this is all connected in, in some way or another. Like maybe these things, maybe this, the Eidolon went into hiding around the same point that Perdathos and all this stuff was happening. I don't know. Um, but it's very interesting. And does this seemingly, at least according to the elder, like the solstice and the gods being in danger is kind of like the perfect time to strike. So does, is the Eidolon like anti-god? Presumably if it's been hiding from them for centuries, it probably isn't a big fan. Um, so like, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't really know what to like extrapolate from this. Like could he partner up with Perdathos or like would Perdathos view them all the same and like would want to, you know, wipe this entity out as well. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting that we have like a whole nother faction of, anti-god it seems like with these yeah it seems like it is like some kind of primordial or something from the time the town the time of the founding that um yeah went into hiding when all of its brothers and sisters were killed and it, it could be there could be many right right i do wonder because i know we were talking about the detail of when this first came up so i'm glad you went back and found the note on that Ludinus Ludinus's note on seemingly referencing a primordial that was never sundered. Is it possible he found that primordial or talked to that primordial and sort of partnered up in some way? Or like I took the note as him like finding a footnote of like, oh, and there might be a primordial somewhere. But after this most previous episode, knowing that there seems to be a connection with Elder Abedina and the town and these Eidolons, it makes me wonder if Ludinus actually went 
went and found one or connected with one in some way, especially if he was able to speak or connect to Pradathos, you know, a moon away. Mm -hmm. I just think it's certainly possible that he has meanwhile also connected in some way with these primordial energies, um, which I have to wonder also why the deities seem unaware of these primordial energies. And maybe they don't, maybe they aren't aware. Maybe they have known, but it was so like inconsequential, you know, maybe it's a wow thing where these things are so ingrained in like the earth of Exandria that like obliterating them would also mean the destruction of the planet in some way. I don't know. Um, with the old gods and classic wow, but yeah, lots like I said earlier, there's, it feels like there's a lot of implications for like the world of Exandria with this. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it could even, since the Eidolon has been hiding from the gods, like specifically, it may just be that they don't know, like, you know, maybe, it, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. like less than that. They just, it was small fry. They didn't care. Like if it was purposely hiding, they maybe just, either, maybe they knew it existed and like could never find it. Or maybe they, maybe it, evaded their awareness completely sensing the danger that was coming or something. Um, but yeah, I, I like that with Ludinus. It's maybe it's also possible that like in that research, he was clearly researching a way to deal with the gods. Like maybe that's one of the first things he found was this supposed ancient primordial that escaped the gods. Maybe he was like, that's something I could track down that might, might help me if this ancient powerful primordial was able to evade their wrath. Maybe that's something I can use. Um, mm -hmm. So it could also be something like that. And it was something we talked about before, but the attack under the Earth Ashari, which seemingly was a distraction mm. to weaken Keyless forces. So I think that part's true and that that's mm -hmm. all fine and good that that could be all that it was. But maybe there's another primordial or something that was being investigated in that area. And then, of course, we have the Ono Plateau, which is like this enormous well of seemingly like elemental energy so um what's going on with that still uh maybe there's some sort of fire i don't know there's yeah, lots, lots happening well and think about um man this is interesting man this is so interesting the language in exu with the ono plateau which for people who didn't see exu the very shortest story of this is there was a basically a mountain that appeared out of nowhere um, and seemingly characteristic of the fire, the fire elemental plane. Um, and as the party is trying to figure out kind of what's going on, there is some language around. And wasn't there also like a reference to um, the crater in uh, oh, what's the town? Um, Iman. 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 Thorda the like, Thordax scar. Wasn't like the scar like overact overacting or something or I like think, yeah I think maybe yeah there's a lot something. of there's a lot of like fire elemental activity. But I think it was something like I don't know if it was like the rune or the sigil at the top of the Ono Plateau, but there was something about something's coming, like something's pushing through. Mm -hmm. So that tracks for me that there's something primordial in play here. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it even is 
the Eidolon, you know, for all, for all we know. Um, it could just be, especially at that point, maybe just a little bit of a clue as to the solstice coming and what that means with these like nexus points and all this magical energy that can be used. That's and that's, true. that's fine. Um, I think that is enough and that would make sense, but yeah, it is, it's true. at least possible that this also, it could be playing into what we're saying here. So I think it's definitely interesting. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It's, I don't want to draw away from this subject yet, but one other thing I want to touch on is, you know, clearly the Elder Abedina is team against the gods, which is, she seems very in line with Ludinus, almost saying as much when Orum first brought up, like, I was just 50 feet from this dude, like, he's not a good guy. And she's, you know, like, ends justify the means, basically. Um, they also heard his speech, and a lot of people around this part of the world have heard the speech, but in Team Wildmount, we never got the indication that any of the people in Uthodurn had heard the speech. Maybe they did and it just never came up, but that's kind of weird to me. So I think they're too far away. I think this was, that makes sense. you know, like everywhere within 500 miles or something. Or even less. That would than. make if sense. They can, if they can see the beam in Rudis, I guess, then, but, or maybe, I don't know. But Yeah. So, so yeah. that checks out to me, but, I mean, especially if Ludinus knew of the Eidolon and it was any part of his master plan, could the Elder have had any contact with Ludinus or be looped in on this at all? I don't, I don't think so. I'm not leaning that way, but their, their goals are definitely aligned, at least in the short term. Um, and I just, I don't know if I trust her. I mean, I get, it is completely plausible that like, being from this town, having the belief structure that they do, that this is what she would want and like wouldn't kind of care what it took to get there. Ends justify the means. But I don't know. I mean, it's also kind of intense, but I guess we don't really know the history of how like the temple and the, the Dawnfather have, have treated these people necessarily. Um, they like, don't. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting is this group doesn't have a cleric or someone who ascribes i mean i guess orum with the wild mother maybe um but we know with team Wildmount, towards the end of their story they got actual deliberate like one-on-one -on -one missions right. from their deities to like go stop this now there's no one yet who i think could maybe have that except for maybe orum um, but it's interesting, their actions are now, they're basically attacking a temple of the Dawnfather. Like, they're essentially now working against that, um, which is much more overt than what we ever saw with Team Wildmount. I would be really interested to know, because I guess this is day two, or day three, and Team Wildmount went all the way to day... It went a while. I was going to say, yeah, like day ten, maybe? I don't know, what the, I don't know like, the actual... Yeah. Um, I know they had like five or six days of travel um, on top of all the other things. So I think maybe one to two weeks. It would be really weird if some of the efforts of Team AOL, some of their actions, the consequences of their actions are what then spur the gods to get more involved and actually charge their people with like, hey, you need to go stop this. Like you need to go... Um, because you think about it, on day 10, if Team Wildmount gets these personal missions, like, go go do this or else, 
I'm thinking, why not on day one? Like, why not as soon as Rudis, the ritual started, why weren't they already being like, hey, everyone rise up? Like, why 10 days? Why did it take so many days? And part of that could be, we know that it feels like the Apogee Solstice, like as time goes on, it's blockage of magical power seems to be waning. So like maybe this is the first time they could get a hold of their people. Mm-hmm. There could also be something that Team AOL is doing. Not, not, I don't think they're going to like attack Vasselheim or anything weird like that, but it could be that some of their micro actions are in some way feeding the urgency of the deities to be like, hey, we need some help. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I could see that like something that unfolds during Team AOL's time serves as an impetus but i don't think it would be because of team aol maybe it would be in terms of like a rolling consequences of actions type of thing i don't think they're yeah i don't think they're going to cause something catastrophic i just think it'd be interesting if if their actions are in some way feeding into into the the gods being urgent to yeah solve this problem yeah because it is interesting like why did it take so long um but I wonder if we will get some sort of similar call to action 10 days deep with this crew. Now, like you said, there's not really anybody as connected to a god with these with this crew. Um, but it still seems like, and it obviously does not have to be the gods by any means, but it seems like this crew is going to need some sort of like final like spur moment of like, all right, we got to get to Drusar. I mean, I'm assuming that's where they are ultimately going to end up since that's where the other team went, but not necessarily... Um, but yeah, I also don't think that, and not that you were saying this, um, but I also think that for Team AOL, they're more so just kind of ends justify the means for their own personal mission in terms of like, we need a scry spell, we need to get back with our crew. And that's kind of why they've aligned with this town more so than they're like, down with the Dawnfather, you know? Oh, yeah. Necessarily. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And all I meant was they are overtly attacking a temple now. <laughs> right. Against the Dawnfather. Right. Which wasn't their plan. I mean, their plan was to talk him down. But, right. But Which yeah. we also got a little bit of a nugget from that in that the uh, when he was telling the the flame keeper or the flame speaker or flame guide, whoever it was, about what happened that they knew. And they're like, yeah, we ship, we sent ships to the Hellcatch Valley. But clearly they did not know that those ships all went kaboom. Um and we know it's at least been one, maybe two days. So not that this is anything new, but clearly communications are offline because they don't even know mm-hmm. what happened there yet. And there's right. clearly no urgency about it, um, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, so just the elder. I'm Again, just to kind of close a loop on that thought, I don't I'm not saying there's anything like sinister going on there but like i don't know i just don't know if i trust her for for whatever reason like you getting any of those vibes at all or you just definitely i don't think she's i don't think she's hiding anything like i don't think it's it's gonna be like like where they like save the town and then they're like oh yeah one last loose end (laughs) you know and um i think i think for her it's very much also the ends justify the means like we have this group of people who can help and then once the deed is done like all right, take what you need. See you later. Um, I, I think the tension is also that she seems, it's very interesting. She seems to be pro, not pro Ludinus, but pro Ludinus's plan. And the party, the person who is most diametrically opposed to Ludinus, Orum, 
I was frankly surprised that he was like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Um, cause he is essentially furthering himself, furthering. He's helping a group that at least appreciates Ludinus's plan, um, attacking a group that doesn't want to see Ludinus's plan occur. And it is very much ends just for the means. I'm just trying to get back to my friends. Like maybe this will help me finally like get back to Ludinus. Um, but it is very interesting. And I think that untrustworthiness for me, that tension is the fact that, you know, this is someone who wants to see Ludinus's plan happen. So I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious how Orem will process it after the fact. Like in one of, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a conversation with like Ashton at like, you know, midnight as they kind of reflect on <laughs> one of those great conversations they have. Yeah. And they did, they had the plan before even going. So I do think that guilt's not the right word, but I do think that like, yeah, they were going to there. Sure. Yeah. But I will say that it also kind of came down to a, had no choice because they were like trying to arrest them basically you yeah. know like the yeah. the flame guide told them to like you know like lock like bring like gather them or whatever and so they couldn't let that happen so there is kind of like well we kind of have to defend ourselves at this point even though the plan was always to come and attack um so maybe there's some yeah you know let yourself off the hook in that regard which speaking of the attack we know there this was something that elder abadina said that I didn't trust when she was like, yeah, we know there's only two judicators. Mm. I could totally see Matt bringing out like two more or something. Um, and the scope of a two piece battle set, are we going to have a whole episode devoted to this battle potentially? I don't know, man. Battle. Yeah. I, I don't know. It could be a long one for sure. Um, but yeah, we haven't even seen, I mean, who knows how strong the Judicators actually are? They seem very, very strong, especially as, like, the dogs of war for, like, one of the most powerful yeah. organizations in the world. Um, can they even handle one? <laughs> like, much less yeah. two, much less if there's even more there. I guess we don't know how strong Elder Adina is. Plus, we have a lot of, like, kind of cannon fodder in terms of the villagers. So, like, I don't know. Ooh. I'm interested to see, like, what... Chad, sorry, man. <laughs> You're probably dead. Yeah, like, yeah. I, don't, I wonder what this battle's gonna look like, and will we see uh, Prism summon that demon? Maybe that'll help. Maybe it's more oh, of like distract yeah. the judicators. You know, maybe maybe it's not yeah. like fight and defeat and maybe, them. Maybe the plans to get to Flame Guide or Flame Seeker Kiro and like <laughs> call call them off. You know, call off the the war dogs. Um, yeah. I do want to see the demon summoned. And I think Emily Axford is like, I think she even said as much. She's like, you know, someone let me know if you, <laughs> I need a vial of <laughs> someone some killed. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which that, uh, by the way, that is also a really awesome, um, it kind of makes me think of our campaign where our friend Casey was a druid and he wanted to, he always wanted to wild shape into a panther but there never was a panther there. So any like any new area, do I see a panther anywhere? Is there a panther anywhere? <laughs> um, but I can just see in this battle, Emily being so honed in on like, are there any vials I can grab? You know, that person died. I want to go over and get their blood. <laughs> so 
And I just I just love that. It's such peak D and D. Yeah. So for sure. So hopefully she gets to complete yeah. that quest. Yeah. <laughs> All right, bro. There's a there's another interesting element here that okay. might need to put the old caps okay. on. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So with Team Wildmount, you know, we got we got a little bit of Chetney backstory. You know, so it, it stands to reason we're probably gonna get some backstory with somebody here. And it seems like maybe Ashton were in uh, Asilra, which mm-hmm. we know the Hishari village was in Asilra. Mm. And I'm wondering if Hearthdale is that was that Hishari village. Because what did the Hishari do? They believed in like this cult. They were this cult that believed in like this elemental force, which is like exactly what this elder yeah. believes in. And they... There was some like big incident a couple decades back that, you know, sent Ashton away. Maybe they were trying to perform some ritual with the Eidolons or something. Um, And it's around that time, roughly with the dates were given that the temple showed up in Arthdell. So maybe maybe they came in response to this incident being like these crazy godless people just did something nuts. Like, let's get some temple influence in here and look over this. And it's it's a nexus point of these ley lines Um, seemingly before the Apogee Solstice for the temple. Like the temple temple wasn't built overnight. Right. Um, They're also I, I keep I keep coming back to Hishari and like. And there's even like been points where Ashton mishears Ashari and been like, did you say Hishari? And Matt's like, no, I said Ashari. Very similar. Yeah. If the Hishari wasn't just, um, wasn't just, you know, trying to do some kind of weird ritual and it backfired, but they actually, like the people of Hearthdale, were deeply religiously entrenched with these primal energies. It stands to reason that the Hishari could be an offshoot of the Gal Drashari mm-hmm. that like maybe the Gal, the Gal Drashari when it fractured years later, the Hisharis from that worshiped these primal Eidolons and the Ashari um, very much, I guess the Ashari, do they, do they care much about the deities or is it more like, are there um, other missions that could their missions be the same? I guess. They like not... they like tending to the elemental yeah. planes on the on the planet essentially. The point that I'm making is I kept thinking why did Matt choose a name that is so similar to Ashari, so easily confused? And it's like, well, if they're if they're both an off branch of the same origin, it, this town for me, I'm totally with you. I feel like this town could be remnants or part of or something Hishari. Um yeah. and absolutely could be where Ashton's from, or at least near there. Yeah, and I, I don't remember when or where, but I think it, Matt even said as much that the Hishari like was an offshoot, like was connected. Um, yeah, okay. So okay. I, I don't I don't remember the exact context to fill in that graph precisely, but I'm pretty sure we got that confirmed. Okay. Um, so yeah, it all could add up rather nicely. Now, if it does, I don't know. Um, you know, it is a and d game, so, you know, if we are going to implement some character backstory along with the overarching story, similar to how Chetney was near Uthadurn based on where they teleported, then similarly, 
you know, this could be Ashton's backstory that they happen to be near. So I think that's gotta be makes sense. Ashton's Um, gotten the least of everyone else, which not that everyone needs to have their time, but I just feel like it's, it's too coincidental for there not to be some really poignant moments with Ashton. Also my favorite character. (laughs) Yeah. And this, this is a stretch, but it, this also I think makes sense in this theory, but outside of the theory, it's kind of a stretch, but the gallows that they saw that have been out of use and were cursed. Like maybe the last time they were in use was when all that happened. And maybe like some of these people were hung in response to what they did, like part of the, the Mm -hmm. cult members or something. Um, question is how did ashton end up in um Basaros? well i mean if whatever they were doing which i don't know if, if this was just a theory that was thrown out there or if we got any type of confirmation about this i think it was just a theory but whatever the the cult was doing that day because you know matt described like like people being thrown away or like you know maybe that was also during a solstice and maybe Ashton was similarly teleported just like he was mm. just teleported during this solstice. Cause then he, from his perspective, he like wakes up and he's just near Basaris, right? Yeah. Maybe even, even like away from an Apache solstice, like someone getting bamped, maybe a wizard of Oz, like tornado, you know, you wake up in, I mean, not the world of Oz, but <laughs> yeah. the hell catch Valley. <laughs> yeah. So, Gosh, I love this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I think you're right on the money. So I, it would be interesting for sure. And I, if not, I mean, it doesn't really make sense for there to this to be like an Orum or a Ladna section. And maybe it's a no one section. Like maybe there isn't any personal backstory to be found here. But if there is, I feel like it has to be Ashton. And all those pieces kind of line up nicely. If so. Um, yeah, and it could be something as soon as there are artifacts in the temple that have been like under lock and key that they discover after the fact, or it could be just talking to the townspeople that um, I don't know if it's this town. It could be. It makes sense to me that it would be. Um, but definitely this region, supposedly. Yeah. So. And this town was doing the weird it's not fair to call it a ritual, but the weird festival the night before that they all like made fun of where like they had, they were like, you know, doing their festivities before the solstice. So that kind of like culturally lines up for like, mm-hmm. you know, this Hishari cult that was trying to perform something. Yeah. Um, so e- even if this is, let's say this isn't the case, I still at least think the way elder Abedina worships or reveres the Eidolons is probably the same relationship that the Hishari had with, if not the Eidolons, something very similar to them. Yeah. No. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty interesting. Um, what else in this episode? That's the main stuff I wanted to hit. I think so. I'm, let me look over my notes. Um, flame guide, Kiro. Mm. That's her title. Um, that might be everything. I'm curious what happens from here. Like, let's say that everything goes swimmingly. 
I don't even know what that means necessarily. I don't, I don't think they're going to kill everyone in that temple, but let's just, let's just say whatever that means happens. They win. It all goes smoothly. The elder lets them scry. They scry. What are they going to see? They're going to see team wild Mount, like in Uthodurn, I guess at this point, maybe out in the snow wilderness still. Yeah. Then what? They obviously don't have yeah. a way to teleport to them. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious where they go. Maybe Ashton's backstory picks up and it's something yeah. there, or maybe they find out where lewdness was from nearby or I, something. But I think it's, yeah, I think it's one of three, one of four, I guess. Could be anything. Total cop-out answer. <laughs> I think they could potentially want to go to Vasselheim for some reason. Um, Ashton's side story, and then some kind of breadcrumb that leads them to Ludinus's, um place of birth um which it would be really interesting if those two ashton's story and ludinus's place of birth were somehow entwined like maybe the premise of ludinus we've always placed the calamity as the source of ludinus's ire towards the gods like he lived through it maybe but what if ludinus was born in a small town this ruddy small that was connected with this slumbering primordial and has known since his origin that there was another answer, another way than just the deities. And the calamity just, you know, spurred that ire on. Like, no. was like, now I, I was already kind of not with you guys, but now I'm definitely, <laughs> I hate you guys. <laughs> so I don't know. It would be kind of interesting. Yeah. For so. sure. Let us know in the comments what you guys think. Lots of great stuff. Um, and we don't always have a chance to reply to every comment, but we do read a lot of them. So um, definitely want to encourage you to feel free to comment and let us know your theories. We really do enjoy reading them. Uh, and then definitely jump into the Discord. Um, we have a lot of great dialogue in there as well. Yeah, and uh, always for Critical Role. So this week's no exemption, but we'll be doing a, a watch party, watch along live chat with... Uh, with a lot of the a lot of great mm -hmm. peeps. So if that yeah. interests you, come through. It's much better than Twitch chat. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if that interests well, you, and, come and, hang out. And it's a great vibe. The people who are in our watch along, um, we're all we're all critters. We all love D D. We love critical role. And so um, I don't know if you've ever like watched this is such a stupid thing to say, but <laughs> if you ever like watch a movie you really like. And like the person you're watching with the whole time is like, this is dumb. Like, why did they do that? It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. But to like watch your favorite movie and your friend is also it's their favorite movie and you're kind of like feeding off each other's energy. Um, that's kind of what the Discord channel is like. It's like, ooh, that's really cool. And like, what's happening? So if you're looking for like a good vibe place to talk about the show and like react together, um, definitely the Discord is um, available to you. It's open to anybody. So yeah, for sure. So come hang out with us. I kept thinking of the the movie The Rundown. By the way, I love <laughs> I that like, movie. You know, some people, some people would appreciate it. Other people, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, uh, what, what you like that movie, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, me too. It probably it depends on like when you I, saw it. You know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I think the only reason you were hesitant about do you like it was because one time I said it, it's not a, it's not like an ostensibly great movie. But it's like a fun like. I was. I'm really glad I watched it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were. It's for those of you that don't know, it's a movie with The Rock and is it what's that guy's name? Is it uh Sean, Sean William uh, Scott? Yeah. They came out when we were like young like I don't know. Yeah. Younger. Oh, and, I mean like in, the in high school. Guy. I can't think of his name. 
Um, what guy? Christopher Walken. Oh yeah. So it was just like a yeah. funny like action movie from like 20 years ago. Um, 2003. Yeah. Okay. So 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, so, you know, if it came out today, I'm sure I wouldn't enjoy it that much, but it's just a fun little movie. Yeah. It's a good movie. Little Thunder. Yeah. A little lightning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, directed by Peter Berg, who's done a lot of great oh. movies, by the way. I didn't, didn't realize that. Yeah. Is he the one that did Remember the Titans? Uh, he did Friday Night Lights. I remember Night the Lights. Titans. Yeah, that's what I meant. Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Yeah, which was also really good. Um, and then he did um, the movie. Um, oh, man. What's it called? I don't know what it's called. Um, the Kingdom, which was an awesome with. Uh, um, oh, man. Jamie Foxx? Jamie Foxx. Yes. I think I've seen that, that but it's movie. been a long time. Um, Jason Bateman, Jennifer Garner, Jennifer Garner, um, also a really good movie. Bro, speaking, I know we're like wrapping things up, but speaking of movies, there's so many I need to see still, dude. I got to see Guardians. Yeah, bro. I know. I want to see, I wanted to see the Mario movie. I haven't seen it. I want to see freaking Spider-Verse. Like I heard that was amazing. looked awesome. And I really liked the first one. And then yeah, the trailer looked really I thought good. there was a fourth one, but I guess maybe not. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. All right. Well, that does it for us, guys. Um, Will, what what do we do for our thumbnail? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't uh, like going back to like the notebook one, but like every time I get like big lore, I'm always like, that's my go-to. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. More details. Maybe um maybe just like deep thought or something I guess would be like a similar lore yeah vibe sure. that's not the notes sure <laughs> we're just looking for answers guys for yeah. what communicates this without using a notebook <laughs> we're doing our best all right all right here we go right. ready <laughs> all right beautiful well, thank you guys for uh, listening today and uh, don't forget you can join us in the Discord for tonight's episode. Absolutely. Alrighty, y'all. Have a good one. See ya.